You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a podcast that exists to dispel the rumors, the myths, and the innuendos around your favorite rock and rollers and songs. And we got a good one today. My name is Brian. I'm Murdoch. So we had did uh, a few episodes in a row recently around um, hotels, right? I, I called it, because I think I'm hilarious, I called it the uh, hotel suite. Um, we need yeah. one more to really perfect this. But it, it was a, a couple of interactions with famous rock stars and their overnight accommodations. Today's episode lends itself to a creepier categorization because it becomes the second show in our unofficial series on rock and roll encounters with serial killers. Oh, wow. Well, this will definitely not be in the rated G Kermit the Frog Muppet movie category. <laughs> Murders. <laughs> We've both already asked our kids to put on headphones or leave the room. We're like, okay, normally this is a family program. Uh, we started this uh, unofficial series we didn't know we were creating with Dennis Wilson and the Beach Boys uh, hanging out with Charlie Manson. Th- this is this is our attempt to cash in on the true crime phenomenon. Maybe if we tag this episode episode right we'll we'll get a whole new bevy of listeners but yeah this is about uh a debbie harry of blondie because rock and roll first right and yeah. and an encounter that she says she had with ted bundy i never heard of this before man and i i always like the the fact that there's that underlying thing about how he's supposed to be attractive uh yeah it is weird how we always say like Oh, and he was good looking because like serial killers, not necessarily known for being attractive or charming. Yeah. Yeah. And he's so smart. He defended himself and lost. (laughs) So no. Did you did you watch the movie where Zac Efron played him? Yes, I did watch that movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we'll get a little bit into Bundy. Uh, But first, I think we need to talk about our personal history with stories about Ted Bundy. Back when we did Ice Cream Headache, the podcast, and and we had the comedian Tim Wilson on. Remember this whole thing? Oh, and we found out that he knew everything about Ted Bundy. He'd written a book. I don't know if it ever got published, but that was the whole thing. He's like, we thought we were having a conversation with a guy about his southern-soaked comedy. And very quickly it turned to, by the way, I'm writing a book about Ted Bundy. And we did like 45 minutes with this guy about his theories about the people that Ted Bundy never got convicted for like all the the victims that never were named or attached he thought that there was a lot more victims that were connected to him i mean in general you know from doing this research that is the consensus is that they definitely the 30 yes count them 30 that they have attached to him um are are not all tim wilson had like specific people he was pretty sure like he had full stories and like i remember it was like very intense and um and then we had him back on and we were like and at that point he just wanted to talk about a southern soaked comedy and we're like, no, 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 no. We need to do another 45 <laughs> on your connection to Bundy. Uh, so, yeah, so it's it's with that personal history of hearing stories about Bundy and, and Bundy-like conspiracies that we turn our attention to Debbie Harry and, and Ted Bundy. So here's the interesting thing about this, right? So, um, and we, we encountered this a little bit with the Keith Richards episode we did a few weeks ago. So Keith Richards says that uh, he snorted his dad's ashes, and some people have said that can't be true, that isn't true, and there's some people that say, now he's saying it isn't true or whatever, right? But like, if it comes out of the rock star's mouth, that's really all you've got to go on. This is an interesting story because Debbie Harry definitely had an experience. She thinks... 
Ted Bundy was the person in the experience. But there is no way to prove this. This is really Debbie Harry's word against everyone else. And ever since she's come forward with this story, there's been a lot of back and forth on whether or not it's true. But she has stuck with this story that this was definitely Ted Bundy. And how of all the murder, blah, blah, blah crap that comes across streaming services, I don't know anything about this. Well, yeah. Never heard anything how is it not a Netflix original series, right? I, I think it comes down to the fact that there are some things we're going to get into that make it seem a little unlikely that this was actually Ted Bundy. But she sticks with it, and there is an in, there, there are some really interesting addendum to this story uh, about the way she's still been telling it and dealing with it as we get through it. But yeah, let, let's first, let's do a very quick history, because this is not a true crime podcast. For disappointed five listeners that found this by Googling Ted Bundy. Um, let's spend a little bit of time, though, on, on who... Ted Bundy is, right? Pretty well documented. He confessed to 30 homicides. He was executed in 89 in Florida, and he was cremated, which, you know, we've talked a lot about cremation on this show recently. And he once called himself the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet. So, you know, that's that's a thing. You, you want to hear something weird about why I know yeah. why I know about Ted Bundy and why I knew about Ted sure. Bundy at an inappropriate age? Yeah, why? So do you know who the the day before he was executed, who he gave his, like, one of his final interviews to? Barbara Walters. Dr. James Dobson. Do you know that name? Yes. For, yeah. the, for those that don't, I'm going to withhold judgment on what I think of the man, but he was the head of a group called Focus on the Family, and my parents were eaten up with Focus on the Family when I was a kid, right? Because my dad was in the evangelical church. And so there was a lot of James Dobson in our household. And so... Dobson ran this interview in which basically in this famously Bundy blames all of his problems on his pornography addiction, which coincidentally happened to be a big grandstanding platform for James Dobson. And so, you know, since it's happened, a lot of people have kind of called into question and said like, you know, and even psychologists and stuff are like, no, Bundy was clearly playing the room because this is what Bundy did. Yeah, he ca- he called a guy who doesn't like pornography and he said, "Hey, this is all pornography's fault." Like he knew what he was doing up until the day he died. But mm-hmm. in in Christian households, it was taken as a victory, and because he had such a close association with James Dobson at the end it, and had that interview, it was kind of assumed that he had like given his life to Christ. And so then it became like this talking point in the church for decades around like, would Jesus forgive Ted Bundy in his final hour? He'll even forgive you because you're not Ted Bundy. Like, I mean, it was like this whole weird church thing. So that was actually like at an inappropriately young age, I knew a lot about Ted Bundy because of his connection to Christ. Um, Wow. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? Okay. So uh, we'll we'll talk more a little in a little bit about his MO and because this does come into play in the in the story about how he would um, entrap folks and, and the different practices he would make. But all of Bundy's known victims were white females, most middle class, and almost all between the ages of 15 and 25. Just keep that in the background as we talk about the, the thing we like to talk about more than serial killers on this uh, show, which is rock and rollers. Uh, so let's talk about Debbie Harry. What's your relationship with Debbie Harry? Um, when I was younger, I didn't know about... I knew... I didn't understand that she was a rock artist. So I just kind of assumed, like I heard the tide is high and I kind of thought she was like a pop or a disco artist. I didn't understand that she was part of the CBGB's thing at all. So that was a weird realization. 
Yeah, yeah. It was. It's really fun to go back and, and realize that Blondie, because they did get adopted by pop radio, have left that impression on people that you just described. But they, they really did kind of start as punk rockers. And did you know that before she ever got involved in music, she was a Playboy bunny? Yes. Um, um, you're asking the wrong person the most <laughs> hilarious question. Yes, Brian. I'm not asking Ted Bundy if he knows. It, I mean, the, the quick version of this is that she's in a couple of bands. She eventually forms Blondie. They do pretty well. Uh, 76 uh, is when their debut album comes out, which is interesting because on the other end of the spectrum, from a more commercial rock standpoint from the get-go, 76 is also when one of my favorite rock and roll albums of all time is released. That is the self-titled record by the boys from Boston. Oh, wow. What a great record. Oh, my. Four it, track. It's pretty flawless. Indie. It's an indie record, too. I was, wasn't recorded with anyone's input. You know, that was all those guys. And I like to tell people who have never heard it before to just go like if, if they have any appreciation for classic rock but they haven't really gone back and listened to an album I'm like just go put that Boston album on because you're going to think you're listening to their greatest hits because every single song on that record was like released to radio there's only like eight songs and like every single one of them was, was some sort of a hit if you listen go to YouTube and listen to the isolated tracks it's unbelievable yeah, the recording um, technology is not heralded. I mean, I think among certain circles it is, but I don't think in general knowledge people understand the magnitude of what was accomplished by the recording of that record. Yeah. So do, do you remember this whole movement in the late 70s where Debbie Harry wanted to separate herself from the name Blondie? I mean, she was yes. in the band, but it was much like Hootie and the Blowfish. Darius Rucker does not like to be called Hootie. I know this from personal experience, uh, but Debbie Harry does not like to be called Blondie. And so there was a period in 1979 where they actually made buttons that said Blondie is a group and they like handed them out to people. So they would carry it wasn't her. It wasn't, it wasn't just her. Um, but they, you know, she relatively short lived the first version of that band so they get together in 74 and she's putting out solo records by 81 and and they yeah. really and, and then she starts acting and so she mm -hmm. becomes a bit of um uh, known as a, a film star to a certain degree and there's also this very interesting tie-in with debbie harry and visual art which is important uh to the end of this story so just bookmark this put it on the put a thumbtack in it because you're going to need it later but there's a couple of things one is at some point she she befriends the graffiti artist fab five freddy and they they actually you might remember that he's mentioned in rapture yep. um interesting yeah and, and then also andy warhol develops a relationship with debbie harry have you seen any of this work yes i sure have man big fan but debbie harry really becomes part of both music and film and sexuality i mean i'm saying that only because part of her vibe this whole time i mean from the start of playboy bunny into the being kind of a fixture of art is there's definitely a bit of this iconography that is that is happening as well so what is this story about her and bundy she says in, in the history of her telling this story is, is she basically says she doesn't realize it was him until he's the day after he's executed. So she reads a news story and sees a picture of him and says, oh my gosh, I bet that guy. She's not telling this story until 89. Um, and then in the last 10 or 15 years, it keeps popping up in the news for different reasons. One of them is, you know, she puts out a book and she mentions it again. The other is 
this art-related thing that we're going to talk about later. So there's this big, long gap in which this isn't really part of the lexicon. But she claims this happened in the late 70s. or I'm sorry, in the early to mid-70s. Um, okay. She says she was trying to get a cab on the Lower East Side of the Village in New York, and it was really late. And she even says in some of these interviews, like, I wasn't even in a band then. She says that a white car pulls up, and the guy offers her a ride. And depending on which versions of this interview you hear, she'll say that, like, she turned him down a couple of times, and then he keeps circling back and saying that, you, hey, no, 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 come on, let me, let me take you. She ends up getting in the car, and she notices immediately, like, it's summertime, the car doesn't have air conditioning, it's super hot, but, like, all the windows are rolled up, except mm. there's just, like, a little tiny crack in the one that she's next to. She says, and this is, I'm, I'm going into quotes here, so I was sitting there, and he wasn't really talking to me. And automatically, I sort of reached to roll down the window, and I realized there's no door handle, no window crate, no nothing. The inside of the car was totally stripped out. I got very nervous, and I reached my arm out through the little crack and stretched down and opened the car from the outside. And as soon as he saw that, he tried to turn the corner really fast, and I spun out of the car and landed in the middle of the street. What? Isn't this insane? Like, why have we? Ne- why is this not a story that is more widespread? Oh, I know. It's crazy. This is great. The driver, she concludes, 15 years later, was Ted Bundy. Um, It was right after his execution that I read about him, she said. I hadn't thought about that incident in years, and the whole description of how he operated and what he looked like and the kind of car he drove and the time frame, it all fit exactly. And I said, oh my God, it was him. So here's the thing, though. What she says there about everything fitting isn't exactly true. Um, And so people have poked holes in this story to some degree. Now, I think we have to ask questions as to why we're poking holes in this story. I say the collective we, right? Like, what is it about this that makes people want to be skeptical? If somebody said, I mean, is, is it, do we think she's trying to cash in on something? It's not like she's an already famous. Yeah. And I I don't have any, you know, from 7 million miles away, any perception of Debbie Harry being flaky or making up stuff or being like Kanye and just changing, you know, or whatever, (laughs) saying stuff that's just kind of far out or... Well, let let me ask you like a philosophical question. If she sincerely believes it's true, does it matter if it's true or not? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if she's living with it, it doesn't matter what I think because in her mind, this is what happened and she's living with the consequences of having happened to her, whether or not it was really him. I mean, clearly something happened. I I don't think she's making up this story entirely and I don't think anyone is saying that she does. But here are the things. Here are the problems with the tale. The chronology, a lot of people say, just doesn't work because Ted Bundy is not known to have been in New York City in the early 70s. She's Uh also, if you do the math, she was born in 45. So in 70, she's 25. And, you know, his typical victim, at least from the 30 that he admitted to, never got older than 25. So if this is a early to mid 70s she's i mean not that he's iding people as he picks them up yeah right it's i still think it's believable that he's in the right range but she's definitely uh probably a little older than than yeah. the normal age range yeah. um but she looked really young so yeah and there's some reports that say he didn't really start killing until the mid 70s but he has said in interviews that his first kill was in in the late 60s so there's just a lot of this stuff right because you have personal mythologizing on both ends you have ted bundy personal mythologizing 
And so who knows? You can't. I mean, he's an unreliable narrator. And then you have yeah. Debbie Harry personal mythologizing to a certain degree, not to call, again, to call into questions her intentions, but there is a there is a story here to tell. I don't know how trustworthy every little single detail is because she doesn't, like, again, she doesn't start telling this story for more than a decade after it happened, almost two. Yeah. He's not really known for being in New York ever, but especially at that time, it was Washington, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, Idaho. So he's on the other side mm-hmm. of the country. Yeah. Anne Rule wrote this book called The Stranger Beside Me, which is a study on Ted Mundy. She notes that basically this is from this is from her book a dozen or more young women have called me since 1980 absolutely convinced that they had escaped from ted bundy in san francisco in georgia georgia in idaho in aspen in ann arbor in utah he could not have been everywhere but for these women there are terrified memories of a handsome man in a tan volkswagen a man who gave them a ride and who wanted more they are sure that it was ted who reached for them and declare they never hitchhiked again for other women, there's a man with a brilliant smile who came to their door, ingratiating and then angry when they wouldn't let him in. It was him. I've seen his picture and I recognized him. With the advent of compu- computer communication, I have heard from more women who encountered Ted Bundy and lived to tell about it than ever before. And when I lecture, I recognize the haunted look in the eyes of the women who approach me to tell me they remember the terror. Just as in the past, I realized they cannot. It's impossible that they all actually met Ted Bundy. I mean, it's kind of like the guy that goes into the club that hits on all 100 girls in there because one of them, one of them is going to maybe let him buy her a drink. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly like how um, wide of a net he was casting, but that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and it's, there's a couple of things at play here, right? One, it is, I think you're right. I think there's probably a lot of people who encountered him and, and, don't realize they ever encountered him because he probably was doing some of these these or especially in the earlier days kind of figuring out what his modus operandi was going to be so i i don't think it necessarily has to line up every single little thing you know i i think the experts would say later in his career he developed a way of doing this where you know investigators and such would would argue like oh this probably wasn't him because these were the things the methodical things he did and, you know, you hear a lot about that when, when you talk about and study true crime. But, you know, this is early. So if this is in the early 70s and he's still trying to figure it out and he sees a, a girl who clearly seems to have... I, she doesn't say she was inebriated, but it's the middle of the night in New York and she's looking for a club. So she's probably had something to drink. Um, and, you know, she's out... She says she's kind of on her own in the big city, just like in the middle of the street. So, you know, he's like, hey, hey, here's here's easy prey. Um now, there is this whole thing, depending on what reports you read, about the inside of the car. She says adamantly in all reports that the inside of the car was stripped to where like you couldn't use a handle or anything or get out of it. Yeah. You couldn't roll down the window, so that becomes a key part of the story because she claims to have stuck her hand through the outside of the window and opened the door that way. Um, mm. And there are... I've, I read multiple things that were contradictory that said he never had a car like that. And some that said he totally had a car like that. Um, and that there are reports of that sort of, uh, manipulation of the inside of the car. So again, who knows 
she says it's true and this this is why i believe why i believe it or at least to the degree that i really believe that she believes it remember how i said this was going to come back to visual art yeah so there is a more recent chapter of the story that involves the fact that within the last decade she has sought this non-traditional treatment to help her overcome her fears okay she's oh, got man. these fears and these phobias and these nightmares that she's been public about saying that she keeps dealing with the same stuff in her psyche so she sought out this underground artist named Robert Williams. He had long conversations with her about the things that she was afraid of and then did this thing. And I don't know if this is like part of his work or if it was something he just did for Debbie Harry, but he created a painting based on her internal fears as a form of therapy. Wow. Debbie okay. Harry's fears. Yeah. That's it's like, crazy. I literally think that's the name of it. And yeah, it is. And he, it's, creepy looking it's crazy and so i've got a clip i'm going to play this clip they did a joint interview at for cinema libre studios in about seven or eight years ago about this and uh it's interesting but this is actually a piece of art you can go i think you can still buy prints of it rather than do just a bland portrait of debbie harry i, I was interested in some kind of psychosis to give the, the, the picture some substance what i've got here exhibits a lot of neuroses so i don't want you to think that miss harry is like a you know an, an involved lunatic or something like that this is like um just particular neuroses that I, I had to extract from her after a long conversation up here we have a cartoon characterization of debbie harry now she has a phobia of being bound up and trapped under um, in, in a triangle shape. This has been a, an emotional situation that bothered her in dreams in one thing or another. The central theme was the Ted Bundy experience. She told me in the early 70s she was coming home from nightclubbing at uh, 3 or 4 in the morning by herself walking the streets of New York and a little white car pulled up to her and offered her a ride and she flagged this character on. This guy kept coming back and offering me a ride and I said no. And he came back the third time, and I said, okay. And I got in the car, and the interior of the car had been totally stripped. It was just like the frame of a car. And I was sitting in this frame of a car with the windows rolled up with a guy that smelled really bad, and I couldn't get out. She looked to the side of the window there, noticed it hadn't been rolled up all the way, and she reached through the window. Squeezed my arm out that little crack in the window, and I opened the door from the outside. Popped the door open as the car was going around a corner and tumbled out on the street. I was sort of hanging from the door like this, and he spun around, and I flew out to the road in the middle of Houston Street. And later she learns that she was a, a virtual prisoner to Theodore Bundy, the serial murderer. I don't have these uh, dreams anymore. Since, since you started the paintings? Yeah, and now I have also stopped aging. Yeah. I don't pull out no stops or anything, but on, on this particular <laughs> painting, I I, I had uh, Miss Harry's dignity to think about. I did have her keister showing here, see. <laughs> I really, really wouldn't have minded being portrayed sitting on a taco with no clothes on, but Robert's the gentleman. Tell me about it. Sitting on a talk show all by myself. I mean, it's really a bizarre interview. The whole thing is, and the and the practice of what they did is bizarre. But I will tell you, it's an interesting piece of art. I mean, we'll put we'll put links to all of this obviously in the show notes. But what do you when you see that? What's your immediate reaction to that piece of art? Um, it it was disturbing, and immediately it reminded me that 
um, Robert Williams is the guy who did the original Appetite for Destruction cover that got pulled for Guns N' Roses debut record. That was it was like a picture of this weird robot who has like a flower in a can. But then on the ground is a girl who's just by looking at her in the way she looks like she's clearly been assaulted. So that's what was really uncomfortable about that piece of art being on that record in 1987 uh this thing's pretty creepy did they Um, put that in the liner notes not on the cover no it was the original cover and it got pulled so it got pulled all together because yeah it's like the like the beatles butcher cover you know whatever i remember being in uh middle school high school and middle school, I think. And I was sitting in class at a, I went to this at the time, this parochial Christian school. And there, you know, it's fairly strict. And we were supposed to be learning biology. And there was a kid who inside his biology book had something else. And it became pretty apparent because he was like showing other people stuff. And I remember the the teacher came over, took the book and pulled out the liner notes to Appetite for just for was it Appetite? It was Appetite or maybe it was one of the use your illusions. And was like Guns and Roses is of the devil like the whole thing, man. <laughs> so that was like my first like okay now I got to see the inside of that what's happening in that like but that makes total sense and I have heard about that cover I did not make the connection well done that uh, yeah that that is Robert Williams um, good to see he's yes. still kicking all these years later yeah and he did they did release an EP Guns and Roses did that came out on the deluxe reissue of Appetite for Destruction that was in Japan that had Sweet Child and then there's a whole bunch of live stuff on it and they put that on the cover in Japan too. Oh, the, the Japanese will let you get away with it. They wow. don't care. No. So, I mean, this is kind of a sad story to me because regardless of the the details and, you know, was it or wasn't it Ted Bundy, something happened to her that's been haunting her despite all her successes and everything for 30 plus years. Yeah, and she's been hanging out with this artist that helped her make this dreamscape thing to heal her, and apparently she's not aging. That sounds like somebody needs to talk to Blondie because something's happening. Well, she's it, definitely aging. I mean, yeah. it, it, it is uh, a couple notes on her. One, there is another tale of sexual assault in her history, which is so it's very sad that she's had to deal with that stuff um the second thing i will say is uh, about her did you ever see that movie spun i don't think so so there was a movie it was very early like in jason schwartzman's career and Brittany murphy r.i.p was in it um and it's about people just caught in the throes of meth addiction um and it's kind of hard to watch and debbie harry is in it (laughs) <laughs> so when I think she, of older era Debbie Harry, I think of that the uncomfortableness of that movie and uh, and her performance there. So you know, is she is she a meth addict or is she a mom? No, I I think she's a meth addict. It's probably been twenty years since I've seen it, but I I don't think yeah. she's a mother. I think she I think she is a meth addict in it. Um, yeah. Wow. So get involved in the show. If you've got any information or comments about this story or anything else you've heard us talk about on this program, you can send us an email at wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. And if you have something you want us to research, I mean, that's part of the fun. We like to do that and uh, 
figure out where these stories come from, who's telling them, and, and whether or not they may be true. So uh, hit us up there as yeah. well. Yeah, and if you've heard the sto- a story about, like, for example, Avril Lavigne getting in a Back to the Future car and going and getting a hitchhiking with Ted Bundy, we'd love to hear about that story as well, because you never know what's going to happen with the state of rock and roll rumors and innuendo. I like to that tell you, you about. I like that you bring that up solely so we can use it as an excuse to talk about Avril Lavigne's meet and greet photos. If you've not seen these, this it, it, now it's funny because now with the pandemic, it seems like oh maybe she was right. But like uh, pre-pandemic, she got a lot of heat on the internet for these photos that leaked of her meeting fans where she wouldn't get anywhere near them. And so they're like super awkward photos because she's like in the same room, but barely. <laughs> like It's just very yeah. wide shot of like, hey, here's me kind of meeting Avril Lavigne. Um, but hey, man, maybe she's maybe she's a prophet. Who knows? Yeah. Or Ted Bundy just reincarnated. I will say I keep, uh, speaking of pandemic stuff, I keep seeing like uh, a mov- movies, uh, reviews and stuff. It's like, oh, you should watch this movie. And I'll click on the review and it's like, during a worldwide pandemic, I'm nope, not watching nope, that movie. No, no thanks. Yeah. I'm out. Thanks. It's like, ooh, Adam Sandler's in this? Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I've been rewatching Adam Sandler movies with my kids. Maybe not my best parenting. And uh, yeah. we're, we're having a lot of I fun. Know. We're having a lot of fun. Pixels, that was the one this weekend, uh, which is a terrible movie, but a lot of fun to watch. What do we need people to keep doing, Mark? Keep telling stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright 2020. Boy, have we got stories productions. All rights reserved.